Larry so spoken, and um, while I was gone, and then we had Pastor Timothy last week, but the week before I left, we were in Psalm 127, where we looked at kind of a pre-Father's Day message, and it's been a few weeks, almost a month since we've been in Hebrews, so it's exciting to go back to this wonderful book, Hebrews chapter 7, please, in your Bibles, uh, verses 23 through 28 will be our focus this morning as we close out uh, this series here of being anchored. We'll begin a new series next week in chapter 8 through chapter 10 entitled New and Living. New and Living. Jesus delivers us to a new and living way. Not a new and old dusty way, but a new and alive, fresh way in the new covenant. And I'm looking forward to uh, looking in those verses as well. Let me remind you as well that new Sunday school classes began today. Philippians in the Post and Beam Room with Pastor Finnamore. And uh, also a parenting class uh, up in the corner of the sanctuary and a usable part there. And uh, we looked in Psalm 127 again today. And we're going to look in Psalm 51 uh, next week. And by the way, just so you know, parenting classes aren't only for those who have children, uh, whether still living at home or not. Uh, they are for really uh, anybody. And uh, perhaps you're a babysitter and you just want to know, uh, have, some, have some basic principles to work through. Or you're an aunt or an uncle or your grandpa or grandma. It's really open to anyone, is my point. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 28. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of death. In other words, that there have been many of those priests in Israel... And there were many of them because death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives, he has a permanent priesthood. So you're seeing a, a, a difference between Jesus and these priests of Aaron. There is a first century uh, Jewish historian, his name was Josephus. And he counted 83 high priests... In Israel's history, from Aaron to the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. You understand, there are no high priests now in Israel. Israel's history. There's no temple. There's no temple sacrifice. And so when the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple in AD 70, that, um, uh, uh, that uh, system, in a sense, uh, could not be the same again. They have not rebuilt the temple. But there were 83 of these high priests. Aaron, you know some of them. Uh, there was Eli, was one. There was Caiaphas in Jesus' time. 83 high priests. And there was always an interruption in these priests' lives. And it ended when they died. There was always an interruption. And that interruption would be a good thing if you had a bad priest. And now you had a new one. But it could be bad if you had a good one, and now you're getting his son, who's a bad one. Think like Eli and his sons. You could have a priest the nation was confident in, representing them before God, and representing God to them, and he could have a worthless son. The possibility was always there, because there was always a replacement. And, uh, you know, that's not really hard for us to understand. Uh, we understand the finality of death. Um, but I want you to picture in your mind, if you would go to England, 
And there are some ancient parish churches in England um, that have a board near the front doors there that lists um, some of the rectors who had charge of that parish. And often that list goes back all the way to the 8th or 9th century. And even when it's only the 15th or 16th century, so the church stretches back five or 600 years instead of a thousand, it's still a, a, a remarkable feeling if you were to read those names and think of all those people that served there as the, as the minister in that, at that church. But where are they now? And the answer is obvious. They're, they're gone. They're dead. Um, if you were to look at the bottom of the list, maybe three or four of those would be still living. Of course, you would think that the one at the very bottom would still be living, who's still the minister there. They've held office for a time, and now they're gone. But supposing you stood looking at that list, and it stopped in 1600, and the person on that list was still alive, He was still there. Still a faithful minister of the gospel. That's bizarre, isn't it? Extraordinary. I mean, imagine being able to talk to someone like that who lived for 400 years and be able to talk about their experience of things the history books hadn't told us. But that's the point here in Hebrews 7. Jesus showed up on the scene as a true and better high priest and he will never need to be replaced. And he never ceases to be high priest. He died, but he lives forever, resurrected. He's indestructible. In other words, his term is never up. His benefit and blessings are never expired. He will never be terminated. He will never retire. Jesus will never be replaced. Jesus will never die. And what that means in verse 23 is that Jesus can be trusted completely. He can be depended completely on. Jesus can be lived totally for. Jesus can be prayed passionately to. Jesus can be obeyed absolutely without question because first of all, Jesus as a high priest is superior because Jesus is permanent. He is permanent. There were many priests under the old system because death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. And folks, on the basis of that very first point here, you can cast yourself on Jesus when you first came to him and every day because Jesus lives forever. There is no weakness here There is no weakness here, which brings us to verse 25. Wherefore, on the basis of verse 24, this man, because he continued ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That word to the uttermost is the idea of completely. So we could say it this way. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And if Jesus can save completely, 
Not 20% and you do the 80%. Not 50-50. Not 60-40. Not 90-10. 100%. Because he is able to save completely. This shows his power. And Jesus is powerful. There was not a high priest in Israel's history that could save. They could point them to God, represent them, uh, uh, the people to God, and represent God to the people through his word. But Jesus is a priest who saves, who actually saves. Now those priests had sacrifices that pointed to Jesus' work, but it wasn't the blood of animals that would save someone from their sins. Jesus saves completely. This shows his power. He is a person who delivers from God's wrath. This is a priest who not only points to the way, but who is the way, the truth and the life, by whom alone we can come to the Father. He is powerful enough then, think about this, to cleanse you from all your sin, even those ones that are really, really bad, so to speak. In other words, Jesus takes your record and he wipes it clean. Do you believe that? He wipes it clean. He is powerful enough to to provide salvation for any person who repents and believes. And not only right now, but think about this. His work was powerful enough to save those who lived before him in history. There were many who came to the Messiah, though he hadn't arrived yet, because they looked forward to Jesus, the Messiah. And if that's true, on this side of his death, his work is powerful enough for me, looking back on Jesus, to save me. In other words, that certainly would make sense if his work was eternal, wouldn't it? His work saves saved people in the past. His work saves people in the future. It saves people in the present. He reaches with his strong arms into the past here and saves people. He can reach into the future and continue to save people. His shoulders, his open arms, his speared side, and nail hands and feet can bear the sins of the whole world. And every creature made in the image of God, past, present, and future, can be saved if they would come to Him and repent and trust. You know what also that tells us? That tells us there is no sin that you have committed that He is not willing to powerfully wash in His own blood. No sin. That goes for those who do not know Christ. If you come to him, there is no sin that he's not powerful enough to wash completely. And that goes for you, believer, who still sin, that there is no sin that is not enough for him to powerfully wash. There's forgiveness. There's pardon as we sang in that hymn today. I now am pardoned. And friends, those people you are burdened about their salvation, there is no person who he could not miraculously and powerfully save from the bondage and eternal debt of their sins, just like he did to yours. 
He is mighty to save. Mighty to save. He is infinitely stronger than your record. He is infinitely stronger than the sin that you are battling right now. And this verse that tells us that He can save to the uttermost tells me I can bring my sin to Jesus. And by the way, that's all I can offer Jesus. There's no good in me that I can say, Here, Lord, look at this. But I can bring my sin to Him. Because He's a sin bearer. And folks, in prayer, you can bring your unsaved one, loved one or friend to Jesus. You can bring them to Jesus through sharing the truths of this glorious gift. He's powerful. And so therefore he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Notice that last phrase. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I had an insurance mess up where I had to have a representative on the phone with me calling another party. And he was my representative. And the person on the other line would ask me a question and he would answer it for me. It was great. And he knew everything about the system. And he knew when they were hiding information and when they were being snooty and trying to get me off the phone. And he stepped in and would ask for their supervisor. It was great. I didn't have to do anything. I was literally listening on the other end of the line. Going, yeah, come on, get him. <laughs> he was interceding for me. And it was just a small picture during that time to me. Of Jesus who forever intercedes on my behalf. Who has destroyed the power of Satan. And the slander of Satan. Jesus is powerful. Look at the next verse. 26. For such an high priest became us. In other words, such a high priest, he truly meets our need. Why? Look at the description of this high priest in this verse 26. Who is holy. Who is harmless. The idea of harmless is, is without guile, without deceit. Just, just pure, without malice intention. Gentle. Undefiled. Separate from sinners. And made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily, as those high, high priests, the other ones, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offereth up himself. This is a high priest who truly meets our need. When he was holy, he's blameless, he's pure. He's set apart from sinners. He's exalted above the heavens. He's unlike those other high priests. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins, so that then he could present the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. And why is he uniquely qualified? Well, folks, he has intrinsic to him on the inside. He possesses in the ultimate way what every priest before him tried to reflect imperfectly. That he is absolutely pure. He is absolutely pure. Pure. 
We really don't understand that word in our culture today. Pure. He is absolutely holy. There is not a hint of pollution of sin in Him. He always operated His life out of honor for God's requirements flawlessly. His meat, He says, we would say bread and butter, was to do His Father's will. He is absolutely upright. That's the idea there of harmless. At no time did he ever even entertain a thought to do evil. He was tempted to do evil on the outside. He never entertained those thoughts. And no evil could ever attach itself to him. In him is no sin, not even a speck of it on his life. And notice the verse also said he's separate from sinners. That's kind of amazing if you think about it. Because Jesus mingled with sinners and publicans, didn't he? He never participated in their sin, though. Also, you can see in some of his miracles that he completed, that he shows um, a picture of the, of the moral purity and some of the physical things he did. As a Jew, you were not allowed to be in contact with a leper, or you would be considered unclean, and have to go through the process of cleansing that Moses writes about in Leviticus. But what does Jesus do to lepers? He touches the leper. Does he become unclean? No, the leper comes clean. He sees a dead body carried out and a widow mourning for her only son. He was not supposed to touch a dead body. Or he'd have to again go through the rituals of purity. And what does he do? Does he become unclean when he lays his hand on the body? No, the body comes to life. Fresh. He is absolutely enthroned and purity. That's the idea of the last phrase there. He's made higher than the heavens. His purity will never end. There won't come a day when, oh, Jesus is impure now. He failed. He's enthroned in purity. Never once did he need to make a sacrifice for his own sin as a priest would before he worked to represent the people. Jesus never sinned in a whole day. He never sinned in a whole week, a whole month. Jesus never sinned in a whole year. Jesus never sinned in his entire lifetime. He is pure, and the joy of having a priest like this is that it is not enough for our records to just be wiped clean again and restored to zero. Because you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? But here's the joy of this priest. Because he loved and obeyed his father, Jesus gives us his unlimited, perfect record of righteousness. So he doesn't just bring us back to zero and and, and erase our negative. He gives us an eternal credit of his righteousness. It's called double imputation. God imputed or counted our sin against Jesus in my place. And he counted or imputed his perfect record of righteousness to me. Be of sin the double cure, the songwriter says. And if you look up the rest of the hymn, you'll see what he means by that. That's what I'm saying. So you know what that means? We needed a perfect righteousness credited to our account, and Jesus gives that in our place.
He gives his death and his life to us. So that tells me that I don't need to self-loathe. I don't need to live in depression or live in bondage to my sin or try to earn a good standing because Jesus paid it all because of His purity. And He lets us know that our standing for perfect righteousness is a person. And that person, my righteousness, sits on a throne in heaven ruling next to His Father. He's the kind of high priest we need because He's holy and blameless, unstained by sin, been set apart from sinners, given the highest place of honor in heaven. And unlike those other priests who does not need to offer sacrifices every day, they did this first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. And you, friend, can live as a washed, pure Christian because you have a high priest who is pure. Does that change your day? And how is this purity accessed? Through faith, belief, or repentance turning to Him. You see, real belief turns from to. Last point. I'll give my wife credit for this one. It's not good English. Um, but I said, what is a good word that starts with a piece that has to do for substitution? Would you smile as a place taker? So we're going to use that one today. Place taker. Um, Jesus is our place taker. Look in verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those other high priests to offer sacrifice first for his own sins. Why? Because he was pure. And then for the people's. For this he did once. He offered a sacrifice once. When he offered up himself. There was never a priest that I know of in the history of Israel. As you read your Old Testament. That said to the people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, 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 stop. Stop bringing your animals here. um, To represent you. I'm going to die in your place today. I'm going to give my life for your sin. Lay himself down on the altar. And even if he would have. He wouldn't have been a perfect sacrifice anyway. Because he was a sinner just like the others. This priest was not only the one who offered the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And this priest did so because he was pure. He could give his life in the place of his people as a perfect sacrifice. This priest became the sacrifice also. And we hear it so much, but don't you find that a little bit ironic? He finished the work that all those other priests and their sacrifice pointed to the whole time. And this is a one-time and for all-time sacrifice, once for all, a forever sacrifice that reaches out into eternity and paid in full for you and I. It was immeasurable. Immeasurable. He lived in perfect obedience. He died in our sin in our place. He poured out His lifeblood as a ransom for many and a new covenant and an effective sacrifice that could not be refused by His Father. So He is absolutely suited to do what it needs to be done to meet the needs of our sin. Absolutely sufficient. He is our place taker. 
What sin is weighing you down today? What sin is an obstacle between you and joy and relationship with the Father? What sin is keeping you from enjoying the Father? What keeps you from running to Jesus with your sin today? It can't be because you can't depend on him because he's the permanent high priest who lives forever to intercede. It can't be because he's not powerful enough to break the chains and wash you in his blood because he's able once and forever to save to the uttermost completely those who come to God through him. It can't be because... He's tainted, mostly good, but has some some speckles of uh, uh, dark splatters here because he's pure. He's holy, he's blameless, undefiled, clean in all his life. You know the only reason that holds you back from full dependence on Jesus is pride. To believe and to take for myself the truth that the Almighty stooped down into history and gave Himself, Himself, for the cost of my sins. All that keeps us from joy in God and life in Christ and freedom from our chains of sin and death is pride. And so the Gospel call is always to humble yourself. And say, God, what you say of me is true. What you say of Jesus is true. And that I'm going to rest upon completely. The gospel call is to ask, will you humble yourself? Repent of your pride and rebellion against your Savior and come to Him in full trust to carry your shame and guilt away and walk in new life? Will you take him as your master, your high priest? There is no hope to your sin without the power of Jesus operating in your life. Believer, there is no hope to your sin without the power of Jesus operating in your life. Unbeliever, you do not have this power. You need to come to Jesus. And the flip side is true. There is always hope with the power of Jesus at work in you. There is no sin, no temptation that is beyond hopeless. And we all are wrestling with particular temptation. And I can say authoritatively to you from the Word of God, that there is always hope, not in a vague, I wish so, an unseen certainty to your temptation in Jesus. There is always hope with the power of Jesus at work in you. He's your great high priest offered up for you on the cross, who stands now as your representative. Bowed and eyes are closed this morning.